Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins. Hello, Jess. David. Reformer this week. Thank you so much. Good to have you here. <laughs> no, we're fighting. Oh, okay. Not formal. Uh, angry. <laughs> yes. What did I do? You'll find out. Okay. Looking forward to cracking this mystery. <laughs> and uh, joining us this week, a very special guest who you'll often hear us yelling out on the podcast for technical support. <laughs> yes. One of our greatest allies, yeah. our greatest mentors. <laughs> Our greatest of friends. Yes. Host of the Gamey Gamey Show. Is that how many? Is there enough Gamey Gamey Game. Gamey Gamey Game. That's right. Because mm. Matt jokes about the name too many times. Now I can't say it properly. Yeah, fair. Host of the Gamey Gamey Game Show. Nailed it's it. Evan Munro Smith. Hello, Thank Evan. You. I'm clapping you. It's Evan. such a pleasure to be here. Oh, my God. An absolute I'm starstruck. Yeah, I'm excited. The Evan Munro Smith Evan. from Stupid Old Studios and Gamey Gamey Game is here. Normally, here. he's lurking in corners. I am, to be fair, I am usually here. Yes, yes, in the uh, building, yes. Somewhere. You're usually just like out that door and through the next door. Um, yeah. 
But it's a pleasure to be. It's such an honor to be on on you know on the pod. On pod. Wow. We're stoked to have you here. Now, basically, if anyone's ever seen any video of us that looked good, yeah, Evan was That's r- Evan. responsible. Yes. And if it looked bad, we tried to do it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That yeah. is absolutely true. Everything is. This is what this is what happens in the do go on Evan Munro Smith relationship. We go, <laughs> Evan. We have a project we want to do. Evan goes, Can you give me any information about it? We go, Nah. <laughs> And then the week of, we go, oh, Evan, did we ever give you any information about that? He goes, no, but I've done it and it looks amazing. And we go, thanks, Evan. And we never learn. We never well, learn. very nice. He makes he makes us look great and we love him. Thank you. Does this mean Is I could be up for a, a Do Go On Award? Yeah, yeah, you could be. Yeah, I get. Oh, no, maybe, maybe? not. No? Oh, mate. So, we, we often do so at the we end of every support. year. We do uh, our Do Go Honours, the annual Golden Shiny Gary Awards for yeah. podcasting excellence. And we- do have a category for best guest report giver. Yeah. But we don't usually say best guest unless you want this to be a new category. I think it should be. Or is there a, a topic we, you like to- about, uh, No, hang on. Let's do <laughs> a, 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 a new award called Best Evan. Oh, my oh. God. We'll do it. We'll do it this year. <laughs> and we'll year. see. <laughs> wow. Best tech support. Uh, I guess it would- I mean, imagine if I didn't win. Yeah, it'd be brutal, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you know what? It'd be pretty funny, actually, if we have an award for Best Evan and we give it to Beck. <laughs> That'd be fun, I she is our second best ever. <laughs> Agreed. She's pretty good. She's also behind a lot of our great projects. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Behind every great Evan is an even greater bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you can describe it. <laughs> so yeah, in January on Patreon, we'll be putting out our annual uh, Golden Shiny Gary Awards. Mm. Keep it. Keep your ears peeled. Maybe, maybe. we'll have our best Evan award. <laughs> Exciting. Um, um, but you just get to sit back, relax, and fill the role of Matt Stewart this week. Beautiful. Which just means, you you know, feel free to go on some dog shit riffs, <laughs> um, yep. interrupt a lot, uh-huh. um, speak over us. That'd be good. Great. Um, especially me. Um, and if you do interrupt <laughs> me, go bop, 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 bop. That's always good. And, yeah, you just get to sit back and relax and sit have back, fun. Be the feminist oh. of the podcast. Hey, what a pleasure. That? Yeah. What it's a, a great dream. deal. It's honestly the best thing we could possibly ask you to do. There's nothing better. <laughs> Um, shall I explain how the show works? Yeah. Or would you like me to because you're going to do the report? Yeah, you do it. it if, I didn't it, want to do it's it. It's a weird transition if you explain the show then go into the show. So, basically, mm, yeah. Evan, and anyone who hasn't listened before, we take it in turns to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners. Go away, do a little bit of research, bring it back to the group, do the report, and we always start with a question. And, Jess, like I said, it's your turn to report. Mm-hmm. Do you have a question? I do. My question is, who has been widely hailed as the writer of the worst poetry in the English language. Oh, what a way to find out my poetry is that bad received. <laughs> now, I'm not sure this is a name that you'll know, but have, do you know, have you ever heard of anybody being referred to as like a terrible poet? I don't Does that ring any think bells? So. I don't think so Usually either. you hear about poet laureates or good mm-hmm. poets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even then sometimes I read it and I'm like, really? <laughs> a good poet. That's but a I don't, and I'll flag early. I don't really get poetry. Okay. It's not my thing. Great. Yeah. That's, that's no, why we I brought- agree. I'm on board with this. Yeah. Oh, so- gosh, Evan, that's why we brought you here. <laughs> You're the poetry guy. But I am fairly I- confident that as I read some of this poetry to you later, we'll all be able to identify that it is quite bad. Okay. You know? Because I don't think I would know good poetry from bad poetry necessarily. Yeah. I don't- But my- my- I agree. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, uh, is that good? I don't know. I guess maybe, you know, if you read a poem, it makes you feel something. I really- I was just saying to Beck recently, I really don't like alliteration. Okay, yep. You don't like alliteration? No. Okay. So, if there's any of that in there. 
What does, it, what does it make you feel when you hear some alliteration? I just find I, I think it's a it's a people use it as a lazy way to sound smart, maybe. Or, or ah. I'm just like, why? Why anyone yeah. anyone can do that? It's I, I don't know. Yeah, okay. All right, evil Evan. <laughs> Is that yeah, good? Good one. Good one. Got him. Okay. Yeah, daring Dave. <laughs> yeah, daring Dave. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Is it? But if but some people will do like a whole sentence that's just like little stuff with piece or something. You're just like, all right, come on. It feels smug to you. Yeah, I don't yeah. like it. Daring yeah. Dave's dog dives deep. Yeah, like that kind of thing. That sort of during t- December. So yep. you hate newspaper headlines? Oh, awful. How do you feel yeah. about puns? I actually love puns. <laughs> He's back on board. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's good to find your level. And I love a portmanteau. Yeah, beautiful. Yes, love you do. a portmanteau. That's yeah. fun. Very funny. Um, I love a good acronym. Okay, so <laughs> we haven't got uh, a. A poet's name for you? No. John no. Grisham. Okay. Ooh. We're going back uh, like, not John Grisham. We're going back to like 1800, so. Jeez. Um, William. William is correct. Ooh, no. Wow. Yes. It just felt I was right. going to say, Amazing. give me an old timey name. You've got William. Howard. And then, not William Howard. Franklin? It's, um, think Harry Potter. Think Snape. Head of Gryffindor. William Potter. Think uh, Maggie Smith. William McGonagall. William McGonagall is correct. <laughs> really? Yes. I can't believe we got it. That was pretty Can't good believe you got William so quickly. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, William McGonagall is his name. He is uh, infamous um, hundreds of years later for his really bad poetry. And it's a lot of fun. This has been suggested by Tim van der Reit from Belgium um, and only recently um, recommended, actually. I think only a few months ago I found this in the hat. I did a little bit of a of a Google and I was like, yeah, this is a bit of fun. I think if you were a fan of the episode we did about the Cherry Sisters, who were like uh, a group of sisters who would perform songs and vaudeville and, and like sketches and stuff and they were mm. terrible and people <laughs> would go and throw fruit at them and they sucked but they were so successful at how, no, with made, how bad they were. Yeah, it made a great wow. career because people were just fascinated with how bad they were. Yeah. Right? The, so bad it's good. That's a thing. Yeah, right. it really is. It's a Tommy Wiseau type yeah. kind of- <laughs> Are they aware of it? Are they not? Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of energy, and and I but yeah. poetry, but poetry, incredible. It's really, it's really fun. So William McGonagall was born in March, somewhere between eighteen twenty five and eighteen thirty. Sort of gave different dates throughout his life. Hang okay. on, they know the month, but they don't know the year. Yeah. Okay. Great. So he, he always he- says March, but okay. the the year changed. Great. So historians. Ha- Dug a little deeper, and they reckon it's eighteen twenty-five. But he kind of who said doesn't want to take things. a few years off there? Exactly. Oh, I, I can see that. Um, he was one of five children born to Irish parents, Charles and Margaret McGonagall, and the family moved around a bit when William was a child, moving to wherever they could get work. According to a poetry website I found, um, Wikipedia dot org. Oh, I'm not familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, you know it's got everything you need about poets, poetry, etc. Um, It says, throughout his adult life, he claimed to have been born in Edinburgh, giving his year of birth variously as 1825 or 1830. But his entry in the 1841 census gives his place of birth, like his parents, as Ireland. (laughs) Not very specific. Right. But but he tried to rebrand as Scottish. He's like, nah, I'm Scottish. And young. I'm a young Scot. Yeah. I think that was, um, I couldn't quite really understand it, but they said it. Um, it was likely because uh, he would have been treated a bit better in this, like, essentially I think it would have been, like, government benefits. He would have been able to receive them better if he was fully Scottish rather than being okay, born right. elsewhere. 
So he said, yeah, I'm Scottish, of course, yeah. Okay. It's believed they spent time in Glasgow before settling in Dundee around 1840. And once the family had settled in Dundee, William left school to become an apprentice in his father's trade as a handloom weaver. You know, so fabrics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This would be his career over the next few decades. And despite leaving school and no longer receiving a formal education, McGonagall took great delight in reading and further educated himself by buying cheap copies of Shakespeare's plays. In uh, 1846, he married Jean King, a fellow mill worker from Stirling, which is in central Scotland. Together they had seven children. Okay. How do you feel about that? Uh, Does a question come to mind? Well, I want to. I want to know if they know what's causing it. That's for sure. <laughs> they had five sons and two daughters. So do you feel like seven? That's close enough to ten that you want them to keep going, or no, they should call it a seven. I cannot explain this, Dave. I don't mind seven. <sighs> okay. Maybe it should have been six. Yeah. Maybe I'm happier with six, but seven. I. It is an odd number. It's too many. I still think sure. that's too many kids. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but um. Something about seven feels okay to me, and I can't explain it. Lucky number seven. It was much more common back then, right? Oh, yeah, big big families families, for sure. I mean, this is the 1800s. My mum was born in the 50s, and she's one of nine kids. Like, it's uh, the 1950s? 1950s, yes. 1850s, she looks great. Um, So, anyway, so they had seven kids, and this was sort of during the Industrial Revolution as well, which was slowly making weavers obsolete by replacing people with machinery. But somehow McGonagall still did pretty well. He thrived. He was able to support his family. He was a highly skilled worker, and machines hadn't quite taken over some of the more complex tasks, so he was able to still work. Yeah, like AI has come for everything except podcasting. That's Mm. right. If you're this good. Yeah. The machine can't. We, can't sure, do it. we make it look easy, but that doesn't mean a computer could do it itself. You know, and that's I important. You should to try know. it next week when Matt's Matt's still away. Just yeah. get get AI to sit in this chair and sub in, sub in. I'm sure it'll have some great hot. Do takes. some dog shit riffs every now and then. <laughs> Does it have to have the computer voice? I mean, to be fair, yeah. some of Matt's riffs do kind of come out of nowhere, so it wouldn't even have to be relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. right. Sometimes that's. Our greatest moments. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, Nothing oh, where's he gone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We love it. Let's follow him on this journey. Hmm. Um, so, while working at the loom, McGonagall would entertain his co-workers by reciting Shakespeare. Um, author Stephen Pyle wrote, William McGonagall's first stage appearance was as Macbeth at Mr. Giles Theatre in Dundee in 1858. Realising what a talent McGonagall had, Mr. Giles said that he could only appear if a large sum of money was paid to the theatre in cash before the performance. <laughs> McGonagall- so you're so good you have to pay to play? I think play? maybe he wasn't. I think that was maybe a tiny bit of sarcasm. Oh, okay, okay, right, right, right. McGonagall said he considered this rather hard, but his fellow workers at the Seafield Handloom Works in Dundee had a whip around. They heard him reciting Shakespeare at work in his own unique way and were keen to see him turned loose amidst professional actors. <laughs> oh, that Amazing. sounds like they are setting him up. Yeah, yeah 100%. it sounds mean. I know, and that's a, that's what's tricky is the balance here of like, is it mean spirited? Yeah. Or are we kind of. Are we laughing at him? Are we laughing are we, with him? Yeah. And so that's where it gets a bit hard to sort of navigate sometimes. But I think what's sort of funny with these people is they are so unflappable. Right. And that they're not bothered by it. Like he. Yeah. People criticize them to their faces and they're like. Oh, yeah, they just don't get it all. Like yeah. they just, they still think they're fantastic. This, yeah, and something, confidence. Of, something about that confidence kind of makes it feel more okay to laugh because <laughs> you're like, well, they're fine. They're not bothered by and this. And maybe he'll get out there. He'll start 
speaking, yeah. and everyone will be silent Susan Boyle style. Yeah. With the incredible mm. performance. Another yeah. famous Scott. Yes. Having a go. Having a go. Being very talented. So, um, not only a bad poet, but a bad actor as well. Pretty bad, yeah. When the great night arrived, McGonagall wrote in his diary, my shopmates were in high glee with the hope of getting a Shakespearean treat from me. <laughs> and I can assure you, without boasting, they were not disappointed. <laughs> When he appeared on stage, he was received with a perfect storm of applause. When he uttered his first line, so foul and fair a day I have not seen, there was a deafening ovation. (laughs) (laughs) The crowd's just going nuts. Amazing. All his colleagues just like, woo! The other actors are like, are you talking or? Yeah. Well, speaking of other actors, apparently McGonagall was convinced that the actor playing Macduff was jealous of him and the praise he was getting. So in the final scene, which is a fight between Macbeth and Macduff, which ends in Macduff killing and beheading Macbeth, McGonagall just refused to die. (laughs) That's incredible. No, no, Macbeth will win this one. (laughs) He's just rewriting Shakespeare. He's like, no, no, no. And I actually found, I'd already written that and then I found him writing about this event and it's beautiful from his perspective. McGonagall wrote, I remember the actors of the company felt very jealous owing to me getting the general applause and several were as bold to tell me so. And when it came to the combat scene betwixt me and Macduff, the actor who was playing Macduff against my Macbeth tried to spoil me in the combat by telling me to cut it short. So as the audience, in his opinion, would say it was a poor combat, but I was too cute for him, guessing his motive for it. I continued the combat until he was fairly exhausted and there was one old gentleman in the audience cried out, well done, McGonagall, walk into him. I don't really get that. And so I did until he, Macduff, was in a great rage and stomped his foot and cried out, fool, why don't you fall? (laughs) No man of woman born for God. So he's just like, no, you're jealous that I'm getting all this praise and you want me to cut this scene short so that you look more impressive than me? I don't think so. I'm not going to die. I mean, the end of Macbeth could be a bit more epic. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think this would be a genuinely very entertaining show. And to a watch. genuine, it sounds like they're having a genuine fight now. Yeah, 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 which is thrilling. Yeah, I mean, I think the end of Macbeth is a bit of a twist, you know, because Macbeth thinks he's invincible. Essentially, he's like, yes. I can't be killed. No man of woman born can kill me. And then Macduff's like, Bitch, I'm a C-section <laughs> baby. I can kill you. Yeah, and he does. I think that's a fun twist. That in year nine, I was like, whoa, yeah. they do that. Oh, Burnham Wood, oh, my God. I get why this Shakespeare guy's like pretty freaking cool. <laughs> so, yep, he's he's made his uh, first appearance on stage. I think he made a couple of other, you know, uh, appearances in like, I think this was almost like a community theatre type thing. But, you know, acting wasn't really his main thing. He just liked Shakespeare and he would recite it to his co-workers while he was working as a weaver. And to be fair, like, I would you... Other actors want to be in Shakespeare with him if they've seen him be Macbeth and not follow the script. It's so yeah. funny. It's so funny. Yeah. It, I, I, I'm trying to imagine a modern day equivalent of this scenario where you just like j- go join a theatre troupe, just like what, just be part of a, like that, whose role did he replace in it? Like there was already True. somebody whose job that was. It's not like they're just, there's just a vacancy. Or maybe like they were, you know, the theatre's going to be putting on Macbeth and they hire actors for all the other roles. I don't know. Yeah. 
Was it a one-off? This is a one-off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of auditioning, he's essentially like paid his way in to get to play Macbeth. So bizarre. It is a bit bizarre. That's a good point. A turning point came from McGonagall in the middle of 1877, but it came at a difficult time for the McGonagall family. The family's reputation was heavily damaged when McGonagall's eldest daughter gave birth to an illegitimate child, and it meant that 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 impacted his ability to find work as a weaver because it's sort of, you know, the whole everybody in the town knew them and, yeah, that sort of fun bullshit of the past. (laughs) Yeah. But William McGonagall was instead struck with a new inspiration, and this is him writing about it. I seemed to feel as if it were a strange kind of feeling stealing over me, and remained so for about five minutes. A flame, as Lord Byron had said, seemed to kindle up my entire frame, along with a strong desire to write poetry. And I felt so happy, so happy, that I was inclined to dance. Then I began to pace backwards and forwards in the room, trying to shake off all thought of writing poetry. But the more I tried, the more strong the sensation became. (laughs) No, I don't want to. He's just so drawn to it. Amazing. It's just come to him. Poetry. The Macbeth versus Macduff. (laughs) Of him versus poetry. And he clearly has a way with words. Exactly right. That's what's so interesting is that, like, I'm glad I found this one particular website that had a lot of his sort of journal entries and some of the autobiographical writing he'd done of himself because he can string a sentence together. He can write. He tells a story in in quite an interesting way, even though a fair bit of that kind of weird character comes out in his writing. But he Mm. can write, which is impressive because- he left school at 15. Yeah, like he wasn't yeah. formally educated for as long. He just read a lot of books. He read a lot of books and he sort of kept educating himself. So he can write, but maybe not poetry. Mm. Um, it was so strong, I imagined that a pen was in my right hand and a voice crying, Write! Write! <laughs> <laughs> so at the age of 52, he'd had this epiphany. Huh. He was going to be a poet. Right. So he's been a weaver for, you know, most of his yeah. life and now he's in his 50s and he's like, it's time. It's never too late. Never yeah. too late. I think if my business went under, I would take up poetry. Do you reckon? Yeah. Is that your backup plan? It's the backup plan. <laughs> yeah. Just- uh, But no alliteration. The No alliteration, no. <laughs> um, just for the financial security, I think. I think so too. You yeah. Just, you know, you need something to- you got to take that check. Pay the bills. If your business goes down and you sort of go, well, look, I tried to pursue my creative dreams. Now mm. I'm I'm going to give up on them. I'm going to turn my back <laughs> on it. I'm going to go for something stable, yeah. steady, really secure my future, mm. my retirement. I'm going to be a poet. Yeah. You and I think that's smart. Yeah, that's right. Suck it up, put on a suit, get your briefcase, yeah, I'd be like, and head off to the poetry factory. <laughs> All right, you've sold out, but I get it. You've got to support your family. Yeah. It's a smart choice. <laughs> It's a logical choice. It's in not my, an artistic choice. In my yeah. house, we call all work the job factory. <laughs> How was your day at the job factory? It's always fun. That's great. So he wrote his first poem, and it was entitled An Address to the Reverend George uh, Gilfillian. This sounds like a letter, not yeah, a poem. It sounds more like, a, yeah, like an angry <laughs> a bit of feedback a to the neighbour. Hey, the sermons are a bit fucking loud on Sundays. <laughs> Keep it down in there. Dear Reverend George. <laughs> Um, No, so this is the poem. Would you like to hear some of his poetry? I would love to. So excited. All hail to the Reverend George Gilfillian of Dundee. He is the greatest preacher I did ever hear or see. (laughs) He is a man of genius bright, and in him his congregation does delight. 
because they find him to be honest and plain, affable in temper and seldom known to complain. He preaches in a plain, straightforward way. The people flock to hear him night and day. And hundreds from the door are often turned away because he is the greatest preacher of the present day. It goes on, but, you know, you get the idea. Beautiful. Really nice. um, It's much less colourful than his regular writing. I agree, yes. It's very... His poems are very... um, How would I describe them? (laughs) They're sort of... They're almost, like, quite matter-of-fact. Yeah. Like, he's just telling some facts. There's no real flowery language there's yeah, no real yeah. emotion there's nothing no there's imagery. no imagery no imagery mm, at all mm. it's just very literal and the easiest possible rhyme you can find <laughs> yeah. he is very good when he speaks he's understood <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah. okay okay that's, that's a good thing i guess it's yeah. positive yeah. yeah so mcgonagall realized that if he's going to truly make it as a poet like evan wants to mm. he was going to need to find a patron so Back in the day, arts patronage was sort of um, support that princes, popes, other wealthy and influential people provided to artists like musicians, painters, sculptors, poets, writers. Was it possible that this reverend could be one? Is that why he's oh. sort of sucking up oh, to him a bit? No, I think right. he, just, he was just like, okay, well, look, you know, they say write what you know, write what you like. What do I like? I like that reverend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write him a poem. I think that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, So, he needed a rich sponsor to pay him money to write his poetry, essentially. Mm. So, when you're just starting out, who do you go to for patronage? Queen Victoria, obviously. Okay, Uh, the big dog. Go straight to the top. Wow. Easy. I'm sure you'll be able to get it. I mean, she's got a lot of money. She's got a lot of money. (laughs) And you know where she lives. Exactly right. (laughs) Easy to find. Easy to find. How hard is it? So, he wrote to her, asking if she'd- be a patron of his blossoming poetry. Yeah, right. and here's a couple of examples. More of, of course. this. Yep. When you pay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, he received a letter of rejection. Um, oh, I mean, I'm. Are you surprised because he got a reply at all? Because I am I'm surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got. He did get a reply. It was a very polite rejection letter written by a staff member of the Queen. Um, you know, just saying no, thank you, but thanks for your interest. Um, which he took as praise for his work. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got a letter from the Queen. Yeah, they said, they, they said wow. thank you for your interest, and he said, you love it? Oh, my God, you're interested? <laughs> you love me? You're thanking me? I'm the best poet you've ever seen? Wow. I love I love him. The royal stamp of approval. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the, she's chosen money. by God, and now the person chosen by God is, cho- is saying you're great, mm. so you're basically approved by God to write poetry. I, I can't fault that logic. No. And I wouldn't dream of it. There you go. So the letter gave him confidence, <laughs> more it. confidence so yeah. great. in his poetic abilities. And he thought the best thing to do would be to enhance his reputation mm. by giving a live performance to the Queen. <laughs> no, he was not invited to do so. But in July of 1878, he walked from Dundee to Balmoral, which was 60 miles or 97 Ks. Wow. Over a few days. He writes a lot about it in, like, tedious detail um, about all the different places he stayed and all the people that he met who would, you know, give him a room for the night and feed him. And they were all very complimentary of his work, let me tell you. As soon as they they heard he was a poet, they were like, come on in. It was (laughs) crazy. It just, it opens doors, poetry. Yes. So, he walked to Balmoral um, and when he arrived, he announced himself as the Queen's poet. And the guard said, you are not the Queen's poet. (laughs) Tennyson is. Tennyson at the time oh, wow. was the poet laureate. Okay. Um, 
so close, not still exactly the Queen's poet, but similar. Yeah. And McGonagall's like, no, I'm the Queen's poet. And he shows them his rejection letter that he's received <laughs> as proof that the Queen loves him. Here it is. Um, but weirdly, that still did not convince mm. them to let him perform for the Queen. So he returned home. Well, oh, okay. I also read in another source that the Queen was not there at the time. She was not at Balmoral. <laughs> Um, so he just returned home somehow undeterred. He just walked Amazing. from Dundee to Balmoral. The confidence. The confidence is incredible. And I that's what I, I mean. Like that. I don't I don't really feel like I'm laughing at him. It just it's just water off a duck's back. He's yeah. bulletproof. I, I think I I think I admire him mm. for his poetry's not good, but his confidence and Yeah, there's something about it. And he and like at fifty something years old. He's just kind of like, he's out on some adventures and I kind yeah. of, I respect it. Yeah. These days he'd be posting some pretty wild Facebook statuses, but <laughs> yeah. back then. Back then he's just going on a big walk. Exactly. Yeah. Who's got a problem with that? So he was a, um, a member of the International Organization of Good Templars. It was one of those fraternal organizations which promoted abstinence from alcohol and other drugs. There's his problem. So <laughs> throughout his life, he campaigned against excessive drinking and he would use his poetry to do so. Great. Oh, my God. That's what's going to get people across the line. Yeah. But the problem is he would appear in pubs and bars to give these poems about <laughs> oh, the evils no. of strong drink. <laughs> Much to the anger of publicans and patrons who on occasion pelted peas at him while he recited his poems. Peas. Oh that's God. Honestly, that's, you know. Very specific. Of all the food, that's the most merciful I can imagine. I agree, mm. unless peas. they're frozen. Oh, you're right. That could hurt. Did they do frozen peas back then? Probably not. Don't. Did they have freezers back then? Probably not. Probably not. Not for peas. Not, not, for, for, peas. not for peas. So they would have just been fresh peas. So they're mushy. Yeah, and they love a mushy pea in Britain. Mm. So um, that's why yes. you love Britain. I love, I love all their mush. <laughs> If people were throwing mush at me, I'd just be opening my mouth. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Over here. Yeah, he's singing it as a compliment. Like, They're trying to feed me. Thank you so much. They but- don't have money to spare for my work, but they'll pay me in peace. But they love me. <laughs> he's a glutton for punishment yeah. and, and peace. Yeah. <laughs> in some of his later writing, he seemed quite paranoid and bitter about publicans. He blamed a lot of the poor treatment he received on them. That's a bit unfair. Pubs. My dear friends, this is him writing, a publican is a creature that would wish to decoy all the money out of people's pockets that enter his house. He does not want them to give any of their money away for an intellectual entertainment. No, no, by no means. Give it all to him and crush out entertainment altogether. Thereby, he would make more money if he could only do so. So he's like, he doesn't want people to pay money for my art because they should be spending it on booze, that evil drink. (laughs) And it's like, no, you suck and you're killing the vibe. <laughs> the way he speaks, I'm now imagining the succulent Chinese meal man. <gasps> yeah. Being yes. dragged out of the pub. What's the charge? Yes. <laughs> Giving some poetry. A hundred percent. I think it's the same energy. Throughout his life, McGonagall seemed oblivious to the general opinion of his poems, even when his audience were pelting him with eggs and vegetables. <laughs> God. He persevered despite constant money struggles. He earned money by selling his poems in the streets or reciting them in halls or theatres. Sometimes if things were really tough, his friends would help out with donations. His most infamous poem was called The Tay Bridge Disaster, written in 1880, which recounted the events of December 28, 1879, when during a severe gale, the Tay Rail Bridge in Dundee collapsed as a train was passing over it. 
All 75 people on board were killed, and McGonagall wrote his piece the following year in what has been referred to as the worst poem in the English language. (laughs) Oh, wow. I won't do the whole thing because it's long. Um, Of course it is. But it starts- And remember, this is a- a tragedy. Yeah. So a very, and a recent one. It's a very sensitive topic. Where 75 people died. Yeah. And he's decided the best way to write about it is through poetry. Okay. And his intention is to honour the, the victim. Like, I guess. Hard to say. Let's see if we can infer from the hmm. text. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say- that 90 lives have been taken away. It was 75. <laughs> he ran it up. 75 is not dramatic enough. <laughs> On the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. Oh, good, good, good. T'was about seven o'clock at night, and the wind it blew with all its might, and the rain came pouring down, and the dark clouds seemed to frown, and the demon of the air seemed to say, I'll blow down the bridge of Tay. Oh, no. It goes on and on and on, and then this is the end. Oh, ill-fated bridge of the silvery Tay, I must now conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly without the least dismay that your central girders would not have given way, at least many sensible men do say, had they been supported on each side with buttresses. (laughs) (laughs) At least many sensible men confesses. For the stronger we, our houses, do build, the less chance we have of being killed. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> it sounds like the Structural Engineers report is just getting a bit flowery. Why the fuck are you including that in a poem about a disaster? Being like, okay, well, a lot of the experts say if we had supported each side with buttresses, <laughs> yeah. then the accident wouldn't have happened because, can I just say, if we ha- build our houses a bit stronger, we're not going to get killed. Like, what the f- That's how the poem ends. And, and incredible use of the rhyme, buttresses with confessors. <laughs> Very, very, very good. good. That's advanced. And here's the thing. We know that poems don't have to rhyme. No. And and he seems to think I- they do, but sometimes they don't. He seems to think that that's all that there is to a poem. Yeah, that's right. Just the, it, You're right. It's so matter of fact, yeah. but, but in a way that rhymes and that's it. There's no- That's all he's got. There's no imagery to it. Um, and yeah, but they, they also he doesn't also- He also doesn't follow- Certain rhythms. Yeah, the actresses came out of nowhere then. Yeah, and And sometimes there'll just be an oddly long sentence. It doesn't flow. It's but it's so funny. It's it's bizarre. Does it so does he go in at all into like the victims of this tragedy? Or is it the poem is quite long. Right. Um that feels like that's where the heart of this uh, issue is. is Yeah. But uh, he just sort of goes on and on about you know, as they are approaching Dundee and stuff like that. It's really, it's quite strange. And here's the thing. That isn't the first or only poem he had written about that exact bridge. <laughs> okay, right. The, his, that bridge is his muse. He loves yeah. it. The first poem he wrote about uh, about it, it was actually written before the disaster occurred, and it had a passage that says, Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay, I hope that God will protect all passengers by night and by day, and that no accident will befall them while crossing the bridge of the Silvery Tay. Oh, my gosh. For that would be the most awful to be seen nearby Dundee and the Magdalen Green. Is it possible that he exploded the bridge? 
It well, really sounds maybe, like he did. Maybe he really believed that it needed buttresses. Yes, or his poetry is mm. so powerful that it, it foretells the future and we really should be looking at Nostradamus style for little clues for what yeah, could happen right. going forward. But the fact that he's written this poem about, like, I really hope nothing happens when a train's crossing it yeah, and then something did happen when a train was crossing it and then he immediately follows it up with a new poem. The, I reckon, because what he's done is he's looked at it and gone, if I knock that down... I reckon I could rhyme buttresses with confessors. <laughs> and that's too good to not have a yeah. Does it rhyme in a Scottish accent somehow? Buttresses. Now do mm. confessors. Confessors. Not really. Not really. No. Unless you're Scottish and you're like, yeah, of course that rhymes. Please let us know. Yeah, let, but- me, let us know in the beautiful I mean, maybe Scottish he's voice. great. Yeah, maybe he's incredible. And we're just, it just doesn't work in the Australian accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I said, I'm not a poet. I don't know anything about poetry. No, yeah, who maybe I'm reading it wrong. But you didn't know a lot about buttresses. I know a lot about <laughs> buttresses. I definitely know what they are. I understand it. Um, so about this first poem that he wrote, saying, like, oh, hope nothing happens. Um, this is him writing about it. He said, the reading of the poem abroad caused the emperor of Brazil <laughs> to leave his home far away, incognito, and view the bridge as he passed along en route to Inverness. The, the, the poem about the bridge was so evocative right. <laughs> that the emperor of Brazil left Brazil in disguise just to see the bridge. Now, does Brazil have or did they have an emperor the in 1880? The emperor of Brazil. <laughs> I've never heard of an emperor of Brazil. Maybe. Well, maybe. Um, and it, this is the poem about it might fall down. The emperor's like, I, I've got to see this. The poem yeah. about I hope it doesn't. I hope nothing happens to it. That's incredible. So evocative, as we know from his writing, um, that the the emperor of Brazil was like, I must see this bridge. I, I, I got this, I gotta see. <laughs> um, what uh, I I I've been wondering where where are these being published somewhere? Where, how are people reading these? Where is he putting them? He often sort of prints them and will sell them in like little books or right. just sell like just sheets of poems. Right. People on the street would just buy a poem. Yeah, okay. It's a different time. They didn't have TV. Yeah. I've I've just found uh, Dom Pedro II, nicknamed the Magnemonius, was the second and last monarch of the Empire of Brazil. That's a great nickname. Reigning 58 years between 1825 and 1891. So, Dom Pedro II could have gone all the way from Brazil, all the way to Dundee, to see this bridge that could potentially fall down. Yeah. In disguise. We can't confirm or deny that that happened. Wow. Fantastic. But I I mean, luckily, luckily he wasn't on the- when it- Collapse, that's like right. Imagine. He didn't want to cross the bridge, he just wanted to look at it. That's lucky. Yeah. Incredible stuff. So, McGonagall made a couple of attempts to make it big in the poetry biz. <laughs> in 1880, he travelled to London to seek his fortune. But how he got the money to go to London is a bit of a wild story as well. And I got this directly from him, so who knows. So, he'd received a letter from Dion Busico, a famous Irish playwright. Dion Busico, very Irish name. Um, <laughs> and uh, Busico invited him to have lunch with him at a restaurant to discuss a tour of performances in towns throughout Britain and a promise of a great salary. So McGonagall's like, hell yeah. He goes to the <laughs> restaurant to meet uh, meet up with Busico. And McGonagall writes, I was received very kindly and shown upstairs to a little room. I think it was the smoking room. And I knocked at the door and it was answered by one of the gentlemen. Of course I knew him and he introduced me to the gentleman who was impersonating the character of Dion Busico. So he straight away he's like, you're pretending to be Dion Busico, but you're not. 
Right. But he knows. And he asked me how I was, and I told him I was very well, hoping to find him <laughs> the same. Then he told me he had heard so much about my uh, histrionic abilities, and he would engage me and give me a salary of £20 weekly, food included, and the other gentleman present said it was uh, little enough for a man of my abilities. But all the while, I knew he was an imposter. <laughs> So a fake Dion Busico mm. has sent him a letter to yeah. come meet for lunch. And offered him a job? Yeah. And when refreshments were served, McGonagall decided to psych out the imposter Busico. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to grab the fake beard. Turns out it's real, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He says, I laid it down. So he's talking about like the food that they'd served on a little round table beside me and screwed my courage to the sticking plate and stared the imposter Busico in the face. And he felt rather uneasy, like he guessed I knew he wasn't the original Busico. So he arose from his seat and made a quick retreat. And before leaving, he bade me goodbye, telling me he would see me again. Then I kept silent and I stared the rest of my pretended friends out of countenance <laughs> until they couldn't endure the penetrating glance of my poetic eye. And they arose and left me alone in my glory. <laughs> so he just sort of sat there in silence, staring at them until everybody else left. I'd leave. I'd, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd hang around. <laughs> if you had dinner with someone and previously they'd been talking and suddenly they'd just gone into death staring you. Yeah. I'd leave. I'd get up. I'd- this show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was that saving has been, them for my wedding. That has been stressing. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also... Not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Go. So McGonagall then goes... To the theatre royal, speaks to um, like the theatre manager there, shows him the letter that he got from the fake Busico, 
And he goes, when he looked at it, he said it wasn't his handwriting and how I had met with the great disappointment, no doubt, and asked me if I would allow him to make an extract from the letter and he would send it to Busico. So I said I would. So he okay, there's not a lot of punctuation. So he made an extract, essentially he copied it, telling me he mentioned my poor circumstances in it and he would no doubt but Mr. Busico would do something for me by ways of consolation for my wounded feelings and for using his name in vain. I was hoping to get like a signed headshot or something being like, sorry to hear you met the fake Busico, but here, have one of these. (laughs) Yeah. So the manager at the theatre sends a letter to the real Busico and a few days later gets a reply and a cheque for £5. (laughs) In the letter, Busico felt for me very much, saying practical jokers were practical fools, which is my opinion. (laughs) Which, in my opinion, is really true. So, my dear readers, it was through me getting the £5 from Busico that I resolved to take a trip to London. (laughs) A steerage return passage at that time was £1. So, I purchased a ticket and made up my mind to go. Wow. That's how- That's- That- He writes for so long and it's just how he got £5 (laughs) to then go to London. I mean, that's a weird way to get £5. Yeah, that is- To to meet a fake Busico. And say, I- I somebody is using your name in vain, and I'm quite wounded. My feelings yeah. are wounded. Where did you get five pounds? Pretty good. Well, it must be a lot of money if if a trip to London was a pound. Yeah, five pounds not bad, is it? Seems pretty good. I guess this job wasn't real then either, right? Surely not. But then, who the fuck was this person pretending yeah, to be Busico? What's Boosicon? the scam here? I so don't now, get it. but now, just now, I'm thinking, did he make that up? Oh. To then get some money out of the real Busico. Oh, that's a good one. That Honestly, if he's done that, that's a masterclass. That's really clever if he has. What? That's complete speculation on my part. <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be more to the story. If somebody said, hey, somebody was pretending to be you and offered me a job and I'm they weren't you and I'm pretty upset about it, I wouldn't be like, okay, well, I owe you money. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like if someone contacted you with a screenshot of the fake Jess Perkins on Instagram and said, hey, I sent this person 10 grand for Bitcoin thinking it was you, <laughs> you're not going to be like, all right, sorry, that wasn't me, but I'll replace the $10,000. Yeah, I'm like, that's kind of on you, babe. Yeah, sorry. Call the police. I'm sorry that happened. I truly am. Mm. But I'm not, I don't think I'm liable for but that. But that's the difference between you and the great Busico. <laughs> that's right. That's why he's yep. the great that's Busico. Great. That's that, why he's- That we've all heard of. Exactly. A household <laughs> name. And I'm nothing. Dion Busico. Dion Busico. I wouldn't even know how to spell that. Beautiful Irish name. Mm. Um, it is B-O-U-C-I-C-A-U-L-T, obviously. <laughs> A-L-T? What? Yep. Wow. Yep. There you go. Um, so then he goes to London and he writes of seeing the sights and seeing some performances at the theatres, but didn't see much. But I didn't really read much about him actually trying to perform or make money. So maybe he was just seeing the world. Maybe he was just like, wow, it was just a trip to London. Yeah, That's enjoy fair. yourself. He went to some theatres. That was kind of nice. And off he goes. He tried again a few years later in uh, 1887, this time travelling all the way to New York City. Wow. Um, and but he was he didn't have much luck in terms of making money. He writes about Americans at that time not wanting to read or buy writing from people in the UK. That was his hmm. problem. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, it. they didn't like Charles Dickens or anything like that. They- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is quite long, but 
again, it just shows like it shows a bit of his personality, which I love more and more. When I couldn't get an engagement, I thought I would try and sell some of my poems I had fetched with me from Dundee. Well, the first day I tried to sell them, it was complete failure for this reason. When they saw the royal coat of arms at the top of the poems, they got angry and said, to juice with that, we won't buy that here. You'll better go home again to Scotland. Well, of course, I felt a little angry, no doubt, and regretted very much that I'd been so unlucky as to come to New York and resolved in my mind to get home again as soon as possible. Just one day of somebody going, no, he's like, I'm going home. It it took like weeks to get there, baby. It took like three weeks. For a day, a day trip to New York. um, When I came back to my friend's house where where he was staying, I told him how I had been treated when I offered my poems for sale. And he said to me, I tell you what to do. You'll just cut off the royal coat of arms and then the people will buy them from you. And when he told me to do so, I was astonished to hear him say so and told him no. I said, I decline to do so. I am not ashamed of the royal coat of arms yet. I don't know why the yet. <laughs> and I think you ought to be ashamed for telling me so. But is this may- because he's the Queen's poet? Oh, or, true. Or is it, ju- or is it just be- because he's from England and that he feels like, or he was from Scotland, yeah. so he-, he feels like he needs to have that? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a different time. Maybe it's because he's like, he's the Queen so loves proud. me. He's a patriot, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's so angry at his friend for saying, just cut it off and sell your poems. He's like, how dare you? I think you ought to be ashamed for telling me so. Um, I will still adhere to my colours wherever I go. So, right. he just, you know, he has a strong code of ethics. Yeah, I'm not the problem. They're the problem. Exactly right. Mm. So, once again, he saw some sights and wrote home to a friend to buy him a ticket home. He didn't have enough money. Oh, no. And a friend back at, like, one of the – who ran a pub or something was like, I'll – let me know and I'll get you home. So, he's he, then he, gone He home. hit up Busico and said, look, mate. Busico, baby. <laughs> I need to get from New York. You won't believe what happened, but I got another letter from you. And uh, yeah, They won't let me put the, the British coat of arms. You're Irish. You understand. You, you get it. You love this. <laughs> <laughs> He did, however, find some success performing his poetry at a local circus. This is back in Dundee. Great. He would read his poems while the crowds were permitted, encouraged even, to throw eggs, flour, herrings, potatoes, and stale bread at him. So who encouraged them? He did. The circus. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, dear. For this, he got paid 15 shillings a night. The events became- How many shillings in a pound? I don't know. I don't remember how. I don't know how oh, shillings. I can work. never remember either because we never had to bloody use them. Mm. Thankfully, oh yeah, it's probably boomers listening going, "You bloody kids!" Uh, don't Twenty I? shillings equals one pound. Oh, so okay, so almost a pound. And uh, obviously, it makes sense because twelve pence is one shilling. So two hundred and forty pence. This is how you remember it. Two hundred and forty pence is one pound. Oh, do you get yeah. that? Twenty-four hours in one day. Ten pence for every hour equals one pound. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Straight okay. up. Yeah, so right. fifteen uh, pence good. is what? Fifteen shillings. Uh, three quarters of a pound. 75 cents. Yeah, okay. Or pence. Okay. I guess. No, no. no. Well, pence now, because now <laughs> there's 100 pence. Okay. But back then, 240 <sighs> pence sorry, for a pound. I'm sorry, I asked. So. <laughs> so, 15 shillings. It's 180 pence in their money. Is that okay? Okay. Three quarters. What's pence to pound? 240 pence to a pound. Yeah. So, he's really not making very much money at all. Consi- but it, but con- he's making 15 shillings. Shillings. So he's, which is three quarters <laughs> of one pound back then. Okay. Which is almost, that's, so that was almost enough to get to London. Yeah, yeah. So he worked for a couple of days, you could get to London. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Plus, he gets to probably keep the stale herring that hit him across the face. Yeah, that's fun. 
Got Bits the legs. But these yeah. just open up, open <laughs> up. Delish. In between uh, the second and third stanza, just open up. He's just catching the eggs. <laughs> That's my breakfast. I like bacon as well. <laughs> Who are these people that are like going to the circus with pockets full of eggs I know. and bread and to what, throw what, what else stuff. are they throwing at them? Um, potatoes. Okay. Flour is a weird one. Flour. Yeah. Wow. How do you throw flour? You're just getting the person in front of you. Yeah, you're getting yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're getting flour yeah. everywhere. But, but potato feels, sounds like it could kill someone. Potato could hurt, yeah. yeah. That could do some real damage. But here's the thing. These shows became so wild and rowdy that the city magistrate put a ban on the shows from happening. Which you would think that McGonagall would be happy about, seeing as he was being pelted with eggs and vegetables and fish. But he was outraged. <laughs> no, but he's willing. Like that's yeah. he's he's turning up every night to come and do this. Exactly. He's he's suffering for his art, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that what's happening? But he's causing riots almost. Like yeah. it sounds like it's he's getting, really it's getting rowdy. Mm. So but he's angry about it. And so he was so outraged that he wrote a poem. And the poem <laughs> Of course. <laughs> The poem is entitled Lines in Protest to the Dundee Magistrates. He's very literal in his titles as well. Honestly, that could have um, a bit more alliteration in my opinion, but Evan probably (laughs) likes it. Fellow citizens of Bonnie Dundee, are ye aware how the magistrates have treated me? Nay, do not stare or make a fuss when I tell ye they have boycotted me from appearing in the Royal Circus. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he rhymed fuss and circus. Yeah, and then, like, but missed, like, the time where it should rhyme by yeah, about three it's sentences. it's gone way too long, which, in my opinion, is a great shame and a dishonour to the city's name. Mm. So he's like, what? Can you believe the magistrates aren't letting you throw fruit at me? Yeah. The magistrate would feel like a bit of a fool. Yeah, as they should through the power of poetry. In 1890, to help him uh, get out of some serious financial trouble, his friends funded the publication of a collection of his works. He's got some great friends. He's got some really good friends. So he must be an okay person, I guess. Yeah. He he feels like maybe he's fun to be around, but then he's just... Poems just maybe aren't Just a little bit of a kook. So the book called Poetic Gems sold enough for McGonagall to get by for a while. But by 1893, he was fed up with the way people in Dundee treated him. I don't fully understand. Too many benefactors looking after me. (laughs) So what did he do? He wrote a poem. Of course. Yes, he wrote an angry poem threatening to leave Dundee if people didn't start showing some respect for him. From Wikipedia, one newspaper quipped that he'd probably stay for another year once he realised that Dundee rhymes with 1893. (laughs) (laughs) A newspaper wrote that. Wow. Just taking the piss. This guy's like, "I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving it like he'll stay once he realises he can make an easy pulp. Oh, my God, it's so funny. He's like, actually, yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, that is that's pretty really good. good. Dundee really 93. Good. Oh, my God. That's so How much of his catalogue is angry poems? Not all angry. Okay. Um, or Mostly quite factual. Yeah, some of them about this beautiful bridge might fall down. Yeah. yeah that's true, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, he wrote one about the Queen one time. Uh, yeah. Which she loved, I heard. She loved it. She was a big fan of it. She said, you're my poet. By 1894, William and his wife Jean moved to Perth, um, which today is about uh, in Scotland. Oh. I know. For a second I was like, oh, because I love any link to Australia. We can claim him. He's one of (laughs) The old Perth. The old Perth. Right. By today, I mean, it was probably more of a journey back then, but today apparently it's about half an hour drive out of Dundee. It's not mm. that far, but right. he's moved. And back then- This guy just walks most places. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's like, I'm getting out of Dundee. I'm going to Perth. Um, Birth, Mirth. Oh, my God, oh, yes. This Colin is Firth. Get all one. Yeah. <laughs> Did you already say girth? No, but that's a great that's one. That's a good one. What else? Mm. Worth. Yes. Worth. You could probably, uh, like, you could probably like, rhyme ones that almost rhymes, like turf. 
Yes. Yes, that's good. Yep. <laughs> surf and turf in Perth. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Can I just write this down? Now we're talking. <laughs> Are we going to business? <laughs> <laughs> the business of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Soon after this move, some good fortune finally came McGonagall's way. He received a letter from a representative of King Thibor Min of Burma. In the letter, McGonagall was informed that the king had knighted him and his title was now Topaz McGonagall, Grand Knight of the Holy Order of the White Elephant Burma. That's oh incredible. God. Huge. That's that's the biggest title he's got yet. It's beautiful. Yeah. Now, most people these days know that when you get an email from a Nigerian prince asking for money, it's probably a scam. Yes, mm. and you find that out the hard way after <laughs> trusting too many princes. Yes. Yes. And even back then, a letter from the King of Burma saying, hey, guess what, I knighted you, was quite clearly a hoax. What? <laughs> but despite this, McGonagall, knowingly or otherwise, referred to himself as Sir William Topaz McGonagall, Knight of the White Elephant Burma, in his advertising for the rest of his life. Oh, man. He just I mean, it's hard to resist, in. right? It is. Topaz? That's a great title. Topaz. This is like buying the, that, like a patch of land in Scotland and calling yourself a lord. Yes. Well, did you know that, Evan, you're currently having a conversation with Lord, sorry, Lady Jessica Perkins of Sealand. Sealand? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're currently filling in for Lord Matthew Stewart, also of Sealand. Yep. Okay. Lord Wait, where's, where's Sealand again? Middle of the ocean. Oh, okay. Middle of the ocean. Um, basically, we just did a fantastic- One of my favourite ever episodes of uh, of the show. Of the show. <laughs> you did a report <laughs> on Sealand, which is like this uh, island that declared itself- like a man-man island that declared itself uh, a, a country. Yeah, a okay. micronation. And a micronation, that's right. And now you can buy titles yep. from, okay. from a website that I actually bought for Matt and Jess. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Is that right. when you – what did we make you – was it the pie yeah, competition? Yeah, you, you allowed me <clears throat> to sp- – to spruik my pie competition on here from yep. Brumbies, and I got our <laughs> listeners to vote me as Brumbies gourmet pie guy. Okay, and in fairness, I did win ten thousand dollars. That's pretty good. So good. That's worthwhile. So we're like, you're part. You're buying us yeah. some titles. So with some of the, the pie money, I bought bought titles. They came. They're frame certificates. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Well, and so, and you're using this in all your advertising now. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, um, it says uh, Lady, Lady Jessica Perkins, Lord Matthew Stewart, and Brumby's Gourmet Pie Guy, Dave Warner. <laughs> Ten grand is a good chunk of money to win. Like that That's rolls. so good. It's so good. You have a good. You have good luck with competitions. Yeah, you got to be in it to win it. Where We've did you go? What you want a trip Mexico? to Mexico? To Mexico? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> through Taco Bill. For their <laughs> How did you win birthday. that one? It was their fiftieth birthday, Taco Bill. This is maybe. Six or seven years ago now, mm. and uh, they wanted you to share your best Taco Bill memory, and I wrote a story and sent it in, and they chose mine. Wow, was it a poem? It wasn't a poem. It was oh. just a just a little tale that I sort of, uh, to be honest, uh, pumped, pumped up a little bit. Sure, sure. As my dad says, never let the truth ruin a good story. Exa- and exactly. That's why you never listen to a thing my dad says. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I took the John Perkins approach, and I <laughs> yeah put a bit of mayo on a story, and uh, mm. they loved it, and they. Brought me into the head office after I won to take a photo and give me a certificate. And then they said, what we loved about your story was it just felt so genuine. He said, there were, yes. There were all these people writing in stuff like, oh, I, propose, I tried to propose my wife with a target, but she ate the ring. Can you imagine? <laughs> they're like, clearly this is bullshit. But yours was just so genuine. Here's a trip to Mexico. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah, you have had some good luck, but you've got to be in it to win it. You're right. Mm, exactly. I have a friend who enters like every competition. 
And do they win? Yeah, she wins a bit. And, but yeah, you always, would just statistically. Uh, statistically. Exactly. But you go like, wow, she wins a lot of competitions. When's the last time I entered one? My yeah. tip for people is um, you can largely, for me, ignore ones where it's a game of chance. Like, uh, just put your name in the drawer. We'll pull one out because, like, if they're so easy that yep. more people enter. But as soon as there's a hurdle, like, you've got to get people to vote for you or in 25 words or less, 50 words or less, or yeah. you have to write an entry. Yeah. Yep. People go, I'll get to that. Oh, I can't be bothered. So the pool is already smaller. Yeah. And if you can come up with something a little bit funny or a little bit unique, you're more likely to even stand out then. Yeah. So that's how you, you mm. win them. Was it quite a short story you had to write? Like, was it 50 words or less? No, or- they didn't have a word count. So right. I wrote a page and they um they actually published the story on their website. And then there were a few angry people in the comments being like, I can't believe this one. I thought it was 25 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Sorry. I didn't read the website properly yeah, right. and I'm pissed. That's my other tip. Always read the terms and conditions. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, We should start entering some more competitions, Evan. We you and I that. as a team. Okay. <laughs> let's go to Mexico. Yeah, let's write some poetry. Let's write it. Well, the other night uh, Jess drove me home from the podcast <gasps> and I said, look, I'm already pushing my luck, but can we please stop for milk? I need milk. And you did. And then I came Very back, graciously, came back into I? the car with two litres of milk and also a $1 scratchy. And I pledged that if we won the $10,000 on that scratchy, we would split the money. Yeah. And I'm pleased to report that the cereal the next day tasted fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win, but the milk was absolutely worth it. Okay, yeah, great. Well, that's- Can what- you split that feeling of the, of the, of the great tasting breakfast? Mm-hmm. No, but like, I, th- I feel like, I don't know if I'm putting words in, ma- in your mouth, Jess, but it was wor- the $1 was, was worth the excitement of us sitting there in your car, scratching it under torchlight. It was so funny watching <laughs> Dave, like, hunched over in my car, yeah. going, oh, oh, no. oh, oh, yeah, oh strawberry. No. Yep. <laughs> strawberry, pear, fuck. <laughs> I always try again. There's another. There's another one here. Goddamn pair. We didn't win, which is crazy, isn't it, Evan? But whatever. That's right. Now, I do encourage people to gamble responsibly, <laughs> and more importantly, enter competitions. You got to be in it to win it. Yeah, that's that feels less like gambling. Yeah, exactly. That they're, they're fun prizes too. It usually only costs you time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so you feel like you earn who it. Who cares about you, my time? You earned that jet ski. That's right. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a little detour, but that was a lot of fun. <laughs> William Topaz McGonagall. The McGonagalls only lived in Perth for a little under a year. William wrote that while the people there were very kind to him, the city itself was too small for him to make a living. So the next year, in 1895, he and his wife moved again, this time to Edinburgh. Here, McGonagall met with some success, becoming a bit of a cult figure, and he was in great demand. Oh, wow. It's, sorry, is that in his own words? Because I can't trust Potentially, anything. and look, it's always short-lived, but okay. he, yeah, he, he was had a bit of a cult following um, and he got to, you know, perform in some places and make a little bit of money. But the mild success only lasted a few years and by, the, by 1900 he was once again broke. Um, but this time he was quite old. He was about 75, um, which isn't that old, but back then- Ancient. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty old. And it's a good to, innings. Yeah, he was too frail to walk the streets selling his poems and once again some kindly donations from friends kept him afloat. And sadly, all good things must come to an end and William McGonagall died in 1902. So he would have been, what, 77? Seven, yeah. Depending on yeah. when he was actually born. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah. We think he was probably 77. He was buried in Greyfriars uh, Kirkyard in Edinburgh uh, in an unmarked grave, but a plaque was mounted on a wall there in 1999, 97 years after his death, which reads, William McGonagall, poet and tragedian, I am your gracious majesty, ever faithful to thee, William McGonagall, the poor poet that lives in Dundee. <laughs> I don't know if he wrote that. Um, it's beautiful. So a career spanning some 25 years and widely regarded as one of the worst poets in history 
But the fun thing with these stories is the question that remains, are they in on it? Like, was he aware that his writing was bad and he just didn't care? Was he a master of satire and taking the piss the whole time? Was he just terrible but ignorance is bliss? Yeah. Hard to say. But more than 120 years later, we're still aware of him. His work is still printed and available to modern readers. Wow. What a legacy. I know. Like, he's lived on quite a lot in popular culture and he's been referenced in a lot of sources over the years, particularly in comedy. A character called McGoonagall frequently appeared in the (laughs) British radio comedy program The Goon Show, um, alternately played by Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers, two big names in British comedy. Yeah, The Goon Show was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Very influential. Yeah. and Milligan also occasionally gave readings of McGonagall's verse. Like he would read his- Spike Milligan also recounted McGonagall's life story in, in the pastiche novel William McGonagall, The Truth at Last. <laughs> That's fun. And Spike Milligan must have been obsessed with William McGonagall because he also portrayed him in the 1974 movie called The Great McGonagall. So I think he really latched on to the, yeah. the yeah. comedy side of this writing. An episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus featured a McGonagall-esque poet called Ewan McTeagle, whose poems were actually prose requests for money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A collection of 35 broadsheet poems of McGonagall's, the majority signed by him, was bought for £6,600 from an auctioneer in Edinburgh in 2008. (sighs) For six grand. How many shillings is that? That's a lot of shillings. (laughs) And Terry Pratchett referenced him in The Wee Freemen, um, where a character is a battle poet or a gonagal who repels mm. the enemy through the awfulness of his poetry. <laughs> training up a. S- <laughs> it's so good. This is from Wikipedia. Training up a successor, the old bard congratulates the young one. That lad, he said proudly, was some of the worst poetry I've heard for a long time. It was offensive to the ear and torture to the soul. A very commendable effort. We'll make a Gonagall out of you yet. <laughs> That's that great. Is. So the character That's of a great. Gonagall is a terrible yeah, poet. It's like a Stephen Bradbury or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this was my favourite legacy, though, um, in that I think it sort of sums up the playful admiration people have for him. So in 1965, a competition was organised to find poets of McGonagall's calibre with cash prizes being offered to winners. Again, (laughs) Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan were involved. They were judges. Amazing. After careful deliberation, the judges decided to reject all entries and declared that no poet can yet compare with William McGonagall. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. None of you are bad enough. Yeah. (laughs) And Stephen Pyle, he has written a book called The Book of Heroic Failures, um, and he sums it up quite nicely, saying McGonagall was so giftedly bad he backed unwittingly into genius. And it is that sort of thing you were saying before of, like, it's so bad it's yeah, good. Yeah, it is. Um, it is like The Room. It's like so many other – it's the Cherry Sisters. It's I enjoy it. Me I'm, too. Yeah. I really like it. And I don't like it in a mean-spirited way. I like it. In a, yeah, in this sort of, I admire that type of person. Yeah, but, but I think it's. I, I don't know. I find it. I I actually find it entertaining to read. I think I'd I genuinely would enjoy reading that more than good poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so at least I he's, get it. I understand it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I get what all these words mean together. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I liked his um, the way he actually wrote the stories and stuff. I think was quite funny. <laughs> It's Yeah, I, I just think it's very funny. This is a little part of one of his poems called Attempted Assassination of the Queen. 
God prosper long our noble queen, and long may she reign. McLean, he tried to shoot her, but it was all in vain. For God, he turned the ball aside. McLean aimed at her head, and he felt very angry because he didn't shoot her dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so literal and so- I was wondering if he would go with head, dead. Yeah. It's not. It's like a lot of his writing as well feels a bit poor taste. It's that yeah, sort of. Why is he picking this stuff to write I about? I don't know, but he's just. He, yeah, he misses a few social cues and stuff. When, so when did funny. the limerick take off? Because I feel like he would have really been very good. Excelled yes. at writing a limerick. A bit of fun. A bit, bit, bit naughty, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he really would have shone. Getting the the rhyme. But I love mm. that. So giftedly bad, he backed unwittingly into genius. I think <laughs> that is good. And yeah, and so I I hope that the the spirit of this has come across as laughing but somewhat with admiration of you course. know it's not really mocking you somebody. gotta respect the guy totally and just the like i i think i respect people who are just so unfazed and so unflappable mm. that they're like well, this is the thing i do yeah. and i don't care what other people think i yeah. think that rules it's not hurting anybody i know yeah. what other people think they think i'm great Exactly. I think that's just so- There's something really funny and endearing about that, and I love these kind of stories. So, I had a lot of fun writing that. Thank you to Tim for suggesting that topic. I loved it. If you've got others in this sort of vein, please let me know because I'm all for it. I was sitting next to you whilst you were writing that, and you couldn't tell me what you were laughing at, but you were laughing a lot throughout the report. I was. I'd keep laughing and then I'd want to read Dave a bit of the poem, and I was like, no, I can't. I've got to keep it a secret. It was yesterday, so I didn't have to wait long. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, just found another funny bit. Oh, he's done something else a bit silly. But there we go. So that's it. That's the story of I've, William McGonagall. I realise I've been to that uh, the Greyfriars Kirkyard. Have you? Yeah, in, in Edinburgh. It's right near the Greyfriars Bobby statue. You know that little dog that's a statue that people rub it. Oh, shit. I've been there the then. And there's a little behind the, the pub there. There is this little, uh, this little cemetery. And that's oh, where it is. Oh. I do know that little dog. Walked past it many times. Yeah. And this is this uh, very uh, old cemetery there. That And um, I've walked past that plaque without even knowing. Yeah, you. cool. There you go. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. To hear about the p- poetry, obviously your uh, career, you yeah. your backup career has been locked in forever now. You <laughs> yeah. know that you can excel at poetry. You yeah. know how to make the money now. You don't even have to be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. You have to be confident. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. And I think you could be that <laughs> if you just you worked so? on it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but I don't think you won't need the backup career because everything's going so well for you. Yeah. Hosting Gamey Gamey Game that people can check out, a, uh, a, what's a comedy panel show that you host on the stupid old channel about mm-hmm. video games yep. and gaming stuff. Yep, you guys have both been on it. You can yep. go search for it on YouTube. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of great a, guests, a, a lot of previous show. guests of the show are also also on there. Mm-hmm. Definitely check that out. And Stupid Old Studios is is available. What to hire? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> if people, oh, I'm just trying to spruce. What? People want to buy it? No, um, no, 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 no. I'm on my price, Evan. If you if you need to do a a podcast, a video podcast, yep. if you yeah. need to do a production in a studio or have something shot, yeah, yes. swing by. We're in Melbourne. That's important. Australia. Oh, yeah. um, that is important also, yes. But, yeah, if, if you're local or if you know people who are local and spread the word, we're, yeah, we're a brand new studio here and it's all good and we do good things and we're nice people. And That's exactly. true. And it's, it's everything here is so great. Oh, thank you. Man, this place rules. <laughs> I want to be buried here. <laughs> okay. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Stupid old cemetery. There's some space. That, like in the car park, there's a yeah. patch of- Right. Uh, but earth. I'd actually be like to be buried in the podcast studio. Which- in- 
Okay. Which is on the second level, obviously. Yeah. But there's, I still think you'll be able to. Uh, there, there's a little bit of like a roof cavity. He's oh, small. Oh, great. Um, so go up. Yeah. I'll be in the roof. Okay. Yeah. Or uh, also the walls, that there is like an air gap in the walls. So perfect. I think we could, we could probably. I think we can fit you in. Love uh, to be. I saying. think I'd like to be buried underneath my favorite car spot, car park. Oh, yeah. Then- Jess has a really good car park which, out there. Which one? Yeah, right at the door. The one with the yellow pole. Yeah. Oh. I park right at the door. Okay. I'm a real pain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I block the driveway. I see. Um, and I want to be pu- I want to be buried there. So you have to I park mean we on only just redid the cement in that section. Okay. Um so you're saying I'm not dying anytime soon, hopefully. Yeah, all right, okay, all right. No, Fuck, this fine. will sound crook if people listen to this later and I'm dead. Oh, all right. Imagine. But they'll know where to pay their respects. <laughs> That's right. Next yeah. to the yellow pole. We, Stupid old studios. We know your wishes. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, Evan, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have thanks, you on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And as we say goodbye to the great man, Evan Munro-Smith. Love you, Evan. We say hello to everybody's favourite section of the show, the fact, quote, or question section, which I believe, Jess, may have a jingle that sounds something like this. <laughs> fact, quote, or question. Bing. What I did there was I remember the singing the ding. You remember the singing, I remember the ding. Uh, <laughs> I uh, put the inflection on the question too early and then had to ask a second question. I honestly, uh, yeah, you did. And you knew because I, in the past, have thrown a tantrum if you don't say and it sounds something like this. Yes, exactly. I, I, I knew exactly what was happening and there. I remembered. Oh, got to do that. Or she will be a diva. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah, we, we've been together too long now. We know each other too well. No surprises here. No surprises. (laughs) Now, this is everyone's favourite section of the show, as we say, where people, uh, you know, who support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash dogoonpod, get their time in the sun and also just, you know, get to contribute to the show and we uh, have a bit of fun with them. And it's good for them to get some time in the sun because they are a pack of nerds. So they are inside (laughs) constantly and they're all vitamin D deficient. So it is nice we give them this little time in the sun just for their health, really. That's right. Led by me, I'm... Extremely pale. Yes, you are. I need, need, and that's need- okay. There's nothing wrong with pale, but you are sickly. Yes, and there's <laughs> definitely something wrong with that. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> it's not ideal. Um, so, yeah, this is where we get to uh, um, uh, thank some people and they get to give themselves a title and give us a suggestion, a fact, a quote, a question, a brag, a compliment, a recipe, mm. a complaint. Have yeah. we had complaint before? I don't want to open that up. I no, don't want to encourage it. It does feel recently we had a couple where it felt like they'd uh, maybe joined the the tier. Yes, on Patreon to give feedback. To give feedback, feedback, but yeah, you've got to pay. You've yeah, to- maybe it's okay to put a complaint behind a paywall. But yeah. if you're going to complain, make it something like, "I'm really mad. There isn't more because I love you so much." Stuff like that. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. But then, actually, no, I wouldn't because then I'll spiral of like, "There's only so much of me. I'm doing my best." Yes, you know. I think maybe just keep it positive, or I, I'll have a breakdown. The great man and former guest of the show, Luke Heggie. I think on his website you can submit a complaint, but you have to pay a fee to get the complaint. That is so. <laughs> That is so funny and so Luke Heggie. Yeah, I great. love it. And then maybe there's like a drop down menu of what you're complaining about, and then he's pre written a bunch of really funny answers. Oh my god, that's so good. Um, yeah, are we both going to Luke Heggie's website Luke, right Luke now? LukeHeggie.com. Let's go on it. Let's check it out. Let's make a I complaint. Think it used to be a dollar per complaint. Oh, yeah, complaints. I see that. It's got its own tab. I was most offended by <laughs> swearing, even though I'm an adult. The one thing that was mentioned that applies to my life, but nothing mentioned that other complainers may find offensive to their insignificant lives. 
<laughs> oh man, it's do yourself a favor. It's very very funny. Um, it, it looks like it's free these days. Maybe he's opened it up because it's. But for a while there, I think it was a dollar per complaint. Wow, that's <laughs> good stuff. He also does great merchandise like um pencils. Far out. He's very funny. Yep, looking at his merch. I don't know oh. how we've gotten derailed, but... <laughs> One we've got to mention is Fort Jocks. Have you come across this before? No. This is... Um, oh. Let me re- read a description. There's $20 for Fort Jocks. Jocks, of course, is an Aussie slang for un- underpants. Australia's premier beach security device. Send potential thieves packing with a pair of large men's whites, complete with a pocket for your valuables, and laboratory-designed printed skid marks in the gusset. <laughs> Relax at the ocean with the peace of mind this season as crooks rifle through other unsuspecting bathers' belongings <laughs> instead of yours. <laughs> so, basically, it's a pair of tidy whities with a skid mark printed on it that you tight, that you put your, your wallet or your phone in, and at the beach, no one wants to touch them. <laughs> He is a genius. He is so funny. That's great. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, maybe uh, maybe if you have a complaint for us, just take it to Luke Heggie instead. <laughs> yeah, because it's funnier that way. Let's keep this sort of positive. So, um, without Matt here, how are we going to do this this week? Do you want me to read the fat quota questions? Okay, you happy to? I'm happy to. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Now, have you read these before you read these? Because Matt I, always promises he hasn't. I have not read these before I read them. No pre-read. But I'm a fantastic reader. I read at a year eight level. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I'm only in year six, so it's very impressive. Was <laughs> oh, that two ahead? Yeah. And I don't know that I because was, I'm a year eight maths. I was so fucking smug when we would do like, we would do testing in school and my reading comprehension was usually a few years ahead. Congratulations. Thank you so much. What a brag. Uh, maths was always, well, yeah, roughly where you should be, I guess. Like, it was yep. never good. I mean, everything else was very average, but I could read fairly well. And I would be like, <laughs> I'm so fucking smart. I was so smug about it. What an asshole. Don't worry. I need you to know that I was also smug about my ma- Mine was maths. Of course. And which is funny because I never didn't commit to it in high school or anything like that. But in primary school, my ma- so they'd give you a graph. You're talking about the thing where yeah. it'd be like, um, you should be in the middle of this chart. If you're at a grade four level. Yep. And then it'd be like, but if the black dot moved to the right, you're at a grade six level. Yeah. My one, it was literally off the page. Oh, my God. And I got sent to Gateways, the nerdy. I went to Gateways. Never for maths, only for English. So, there you go. And then I didn't end up really even doing uh, maths in high school, so there you go. Gateways was (laughs) like a- Wasted talent. I feel like we've talked about Gateways at some point. Um, it was like a, an out-of-school sort of you'd, – you'd go off to do these sort of extracurricular days. A lot of mine were um, obviously English-related, so we th- you'd have to read a book and then there'd be activities around that or something mm-hmm. or, yeah. It was just sort of extra education and usually you were selected to go there because you were gifted in a particular area or, you know, excelled in an area, not gifted. I was not a child genius, as you well know because you know me as an adult. <laughs> I know a lot of child geniuses – Fail spectacularly, so claim it. <laughs> I haven't failed spectacularly yet. <laughs> There's time. Anyway, our first fact quota question this week. <clears throat> <laughs> it started for a bit of dramatic effect and then I actually needed yeah, to you. clear my throat. Our first one is from Dave Loring, uh, who has given himself the title Unofficial Promoter of. Okay. Of the like. pod? Just says of. Great. No, I'm not sure if Dave just ran out. Um, or if that's part of it, but let's just see. Anyway, um, and Dave is giving us a suggestion. Love a suggestion. Love a suggestion. Okay. 
Um, the suggestion is, <clears throat> hey, friends, just thought I'd throw out a suggestion slash shout out to a musician I like a lot. He's called Petey on the socials as PD underscore USA, and he's got a big following for his very amusing comedy skits, but he's also a really good musician, which not many people are aware of. Um, he's touring his new album in a few shows around Australia in Feb, so thought I'd do my part to do a little unaffiliated signal boost. If you're after uh, good places to start, the song I'll Wait and Family of Six off the newest album are incredible, as well as Don't Tell the Boys and Lean Into Life off his first. Also, I'm flying up to Melbourne to see him play, so if you all could just um, organise a little live show of your own the same weekend, that'd be very handy. Thanks. Oh, is it December the 2nd? No, it's Feb. Do you listen? Do you ever listen? You're already looking up PD underscore USA, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Well, I was just saying that's the only live show we've got booked in Melbourne at the moment, so I was that's just true. thinking that it might be incredible. Um, I am looking at PD underscore USA. I feel like I've, I'm – no, I don't know. I'm, I was thinking of somebody else. Um, PD underscore USA. Very cool. Great suggestion. And yeah, love, love, yeah. love using your fact quota question to raise somebody else up. That's so nice. Um, so thank you, Dave. We love you so much. Good one. Dave came over to Melbourne for the comedy festival to see all of our shows. As in our individual shows at the Comedy Festival. Came over from Tasmania. From Tasmania. I knew it was I, – I, I, obviously I remembered Dave was from Tassie, but I had a moment where I, rem- I forgot and he said I've flown up and the only place to fly that Melbourne is up from is Tassie. Antarctica. Antarctica. God <laughs> damn it. Anyway, we love you, Dave. Thank you so much. And a beautiful shout-out to Petey. Uh, next up we have a fact question from Donna – Zyber rhymes with cyber. Donna has given in. Oh, right. I love that. Thank Zyber. you. Donna Zyber. And Donna's given themselves the title High Priestess of Bad Influence on the Youth of the Mole People. <laughs> wow. High Priestess of Bad Influence. That's the kind of person I want to hang out with. That's an authoritarian role, but for cheeky shit. And I love that. I love it a lot. Donna's given us a quote. Quote is a quote from Baudelaire. Genius is nothing more or less than childhood recaptured at will. Genius is nothing more or less than childhood recaptured at will. I like that. That's very good. And apt that Baudelaire is a French poet and we were talking about poetry on this one. Oh, we were. So, very apt. But Baudelaire is a um, good poet. I mean, even just the fact that that sentence sort of makes you think a little bit. Um, and has sort of imagery to it. You <laughs> it's go, very good, isn't it? that's good poetry. Not just like, you know, something happened um, on this day. <laughs> something happened. Here's a near rhyme about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tedious. I love him so much. <laughs> Thank you very much for that beautiful quote, Donna. We do love an inspirational quote. Love a quote. Our next one comes from Stephen Edmonds. Uh, he's given himself the title Recipe Liaison. Stephen has um, sent us a couple of recipes before. And I'm guessing maybe he's done it again. Let's find out. Let's find out. He sent us a recipe. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Right, One- everyone, pens at the ready. Get ready. I will not repeat myself. <laughs> One of my favourite television shows of all time is an American cooking show called Good Eats, which was created and hosted by Alton Brown. It went into the science behind the cooking, often illustrated with props and puppets. One recipe from the show that has become the, uh, the dish I take along to Christmas lunch with my family is a baked ham. Uh, while you can go buy a brined leg of ham from the supermarket that's ready to eat, this recipe proves that a long, slow bake... 
and the addition of a crust makes it so much better. I love a Christmas ham. Do you? Love, and I love the days afterwards. Mm, Boxing day ham. to New Year's, we just go to the fridge, you get out the ham bag, yes. ham in a bag, Yep. cut off a little slice, which you can either eat cold or put it in a toasted sandwich. I love the time between Christmas and New Year's. Yes, it feels like this, like it's not real time. Yeah, you just get lost for a week. It's no so nice. responsibilities usually. Um, okay, these are the ingredients: one brined half leg ham, hock end. Okay, quarter cup brown mustard, two cups dark brown sugar, bourbon in a spray bottle. <laughs> Great. Love that. Two cups crushed ginger snap cookies. I fucking love ginger snaps. Mm, love a ginger snap. Love a button-up snap. Yep. Steps. Heat oven to 120 degrees Celsius or 250 Fahrenheit. Oh, not that hot. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a low and slow. Mm. Prepare ham by scoring the skin in a diamond pattern and tenting with foil. Cook for three to four hours or until internal temperature reaches 55 degrees Celsius or 130 Fahrenheit. Remove skin and fat from ham. Heat oven to 180 degrees Celsius, now we're talking, okay. 350 Fahrenheit. Apply thin layer of mustard, pat on layer of brown sugar, spritz on bourbon, cover with crushed cookies, cook until the internal temperature reaches 60 degrees Celsius or 140 Fahrenheit, approximately one hour. Rest for half an hour and then carve. Wow. One downside is that for this to be ready for lunch, I do need to get up at 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, but the <laughs> results are delicious. The episode uh, this is featured in is Season 4, Episode 6, titled Ham I Am. <laughs> the other recipe in that episode uses a whole salted ham leg that is baked with Dr. Pepper. I would like to try that one day, but that is a lot of ham and a salted ham leg is a specialty item here in Australia. There you go. Very interesting. Good one, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Um, that was fun for me to read as a vegetarian. Oh. <laughs> Do you like the bit where they were patting down the meat? <laughs> I loved it. Um, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to Christmas ham, maybe. Honestly, I'm never trusted with doing it, so. No, no, no. But no. I could put this recipe forward to whoever it is. We were talking just the other day, some friends and I, about how in our extended families, uh, all of it's always the aunties in particular, but all of the aunties have like a signature dish they're known for mm-hmm. and how uh, we were kind of like you, you start to look forward to like, oh, is Arnie Mary bringing that? Oh, or is, yeah, she makes the fantastic. Yeah, she making a cheesecake? Yes, yes. her cheesecake's rule. My grandma was famous for pav. She made an incredible pavlova. She had- Big fan. 10 grandsons and two granddaughters, and you would think, being of that generation, she would pass it on to the granddaughters. No, she chose two of the grandsons, and they got a lesson, and now they make the pav. It's beautiful. Oh, love it. But, yeah, it was like, grandma's made a pav. Get out of my way. We team up. It was beautiful. Um, so it's. I like that Stephen's famous for the ham. Yeah, ham I am. Ham I am. Okay, last but lo- certainly not least, Harrison and Rebecca Ellis, who have given themselves a title, work from home professionals. We respect it. I love that. And they've asked a question. Oh, okay. And the question is, just Harrison here for this one. Okay, well, I've shouted out both of you like an idiot. I'm actually double dipping and starting my question with a brag. Okay. My sister recently got married. Hooray. Um, Her husband, now my brother-in-law, is an awesome guy. Uh, We've gotten along great. We're both huge fans of Pokemon, and every time they come and visit, he brings his cards over and we play for hours. That's so (laughs) cute. (laughs) Not where I thought this was going. This is so adorable. It's so adorable, and it's so funny that um, 
uh, your partners are like, let's take that. Let the boys have a play date. Yeah, that's right. Well, let them bring over Starmy. Even if it's the four of us, Rebecca and I and then my sister and her husband have plans to go out to eat or hit the town and hang out, we still find time to squeeze in a game of Pokemon or two. My question for you, do you have any traditions with a friend or family member? Oh, I see. That's really cute. I love that it's always so nice when uh, you get along really well with a sibling's spouse. It's a relief because you hate, like, it doesn't always happen. So it's yeah. nice when you're like, oh, I really like my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, whatever. Um, so I love that you play Pokemon together. That is so cool. Love it. Uh, any traditions with family, friends or family members? Growing up, me and my cousin Jackson, uh, he and my grandma lived in the country. J-A-C-K or J-A-X? J-A-C-K. Of course. From of the old generation? school. Yeah. And we would play cricket in grandma's front yard. Yeah. From like dusk till dawn mm-hmm. every summer. Yep. You know, we'd go out there, stay stay there for a week or something every day, all day. So that was the thing I looked forward to so much yeah. playing cricket in the front yard. Yep. That's a good one. Christmas um, with my with mum's side of the family, with all those cousins, was always cricket in the backyard. My yep. grandparents' backyard, not very big, but we would always play cricket. And then if Christmas was hosted at my auntie's place who lived on acreage, she had lived on a farm, oh, man, the cricket <laughs> games got crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, I looked forward to that too. That was always really fun. And I don't like cricket. I'm not good at it. But it was just like, I don't know, it was just fun to go play a game. Yeah, have a go. The last couple of Christmases at my sister's place, we've played Monopoly on Christmas night. Ooh. Which is risky. It's dangerous. But it's it went down well. It was fun. Yep. That is good. Yeah, I mean, we spoke just, was it last week? We've spoken recently about, uh, or a little while ago, about the Christmas traditions my family have of buying ridiculous presents and yes, really making it. a game of it. There's usually at least one in there that is some sort of group activity that we can play. Like one year it was like um, inflatable bowling pins and like an, and an inflatable ball. And so oh, we, that's fun. And my parents have this really long corridor in their house. So, of course, that was now a bowling alley. And other times, um, one time there was all, we all got remote control cars, but because the budget's quite low for this game, they the remotes were attached to the car. So you had to sort of follow the car <laughs> around. You had to run with it. So there's like six adults running around the house with our cars. Very stupid, but that's a lot of fun. That's very fun. So there you go. That's our Fat Critter questions. Harrison, uh, Stephen, Donna, and Dave, thank you so much for those wonderful fat quotes or questions. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the next thing that we like to do, which is to shout out some of our wonderful Patreons, again, who support us over at patreon.com slash pod. Well, we should mention, you can get bonus episodes of the yeah. show. This is the kind of thing you want to hear more of our voices. There's nearly, I think it's 194 at the time of recording yeah. plus- Bonus episodes uh, that you unlock instantly at the bonus episode level, and we put out three more a month. Yep. So it's there's a lot to listen to. There's a lot to listen to. It's a lot of fun. Legit hundreds of hours of bonus content up there, as well as access to like pre-sale tickets. Yep. The Patreon Facebook group, which is a lovely place, and then also this bit where we shout people out. And before I rudely interrupted Jess, I'm sure you're about to say that you usually come up with a game based on the topic. Yes. Any ideas? I thought. It could be, you know how um, William McGonagall, his his most famous or infamous poem was about a bridge. <laughs> yeah. I thought it could be the subject of their most famous poem. Oh, I love it. It okay. could be a, an event, a, a, an yes. object, a building, a person, a feeling. It can be anything. Yes. Um, do you think that's good? 
Because these are all poets in my eyes. Absolutely. I think in so many ways we are all poets, dare I say. Wow, and by saying that, you yourself have become a poet. Holy shit. That's amazing. That's good stuff. So, yeah, I think, that, I think that'll be a bit of fun. So, um, shall I go first? I'll kick it off. Do you want to do half each? Yeah, let's go. All right, great. Firstly, I would like to thank from San Diego in California, Chad Chittister. Chad Chittister. Would you say Chittister? Well, I might say Chidester, just because I like the sound Chidester. of it. Chidester. Chad Chides. Doesn't that sound American? Chad Chides do. Yo. <laughs> hey, I'm Chad Chides do. Chad Chides do. FBI. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Chad Chides do. You're listening to MTV. <laughs> You're listening to yeah. MTV. <laughs> if you turn around, you can watch it as well. <laughs> I think we've absolutely nailed it. It's like I would call into like, hey. what's that? TRL Total Request Live with Chad Chides do. Chad Chides do. Um, or Chidester. But I'm really happy in as your name's Chad Chad, hundred percent, not laughing at you. Laughing no, with you. we love you. Laughing with you, we love you. Uh, and um, Chad's most famous poem yep. is about trimming hedges. Yes, and what how to remember, especially the ABCs of how to remember. But it's all it's interesting you say that because it sounds like it would be like almost more like a mnemonic device or like a, a fairly dull poem, but it's actually really moving. Yes. You know, it's about mm. trimming hedges, yes. Yeah. But it's also about so much yeah, that's more. That's right, it's on the page anyway. Yeah. But there's a few hidden messages. You dig deeper and you're like, holy shit. Chad, it's about, it's about the relationship between a father and a son. <laughs> yeah. It's gorgeous. A beautiful poem, Chad. And Great uh, we thank you for it. Uh, I would also love to thank from Deep Within the Fortress of the Moles, <gasps> ad- address unknown, Kev William. Kev William? What's Kev? What's Kev, Kev poet, poeting about? Kev's most famous poem, obviously a prolific writer. Mm, um, yeah. Kev's most famous poem is about uh, the feeling of anger. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very angry poem. Is Kev. And again, when you dig a little deeper, oh, yeah, you go, more- what's the relationship between a father and a son? Oh, wow. It's amazing. Do a lot of our patrons have- Daddy issues? Daddy issues. Big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On you, Kev. Thanks for your support. But but Kev, an incredibly, like, sweet, kind, gentle person. Teddy mm. bear. So it's interesting. Gentle Kev. Most famous work is about anger. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, also, from Port Melbourne in Victoria, I would love to thank Pat Ron. Pat Ron, who was a patron of ours. Holy freaking shit. Is that what? Honestly, I can't tell if this is a joke because it's P-A-T- R-O-N. Are you just a patron of ours? And you don't want to give us your real name? Or is your real name Pat Ron? And you are on our Patron. Pat Ron rules, if that's Pat Ron is a great, great, great name. Um, or you're just protecting your own privacy, which <laughs> honestly in this day and age makes so much sense. And we respect the hell out of it. Just hope you know who we're shouting out. And you probably do. Um, so Pat Ron's most famous poem, Dave? Is about George Clooney. Yes, big fan. Called an ode. Specifically the Nespresso ads. Yes, an ode to the Clune. inspirational stuff pat ron it's beautiful stuff uh also for me i would love to thank from san jose in california evan mers evan mers great name it is good uh evan's most famous poem is actually about evan munro smith oh my gosh yeah yeah from one evan to another it's called ode to evan from evan (laughs) And it's quite moving. From one Evan to another. And it, it's interesting because I've known Evan Munro-Smith for ooh, 
close to 10 years, Yeah, I reckon. Long time we've had a working relationship and, dare I say, a friendship. And in only in reading Evan Merz's work about Evan Munro-Smith did I really feel like I began to know Evan Munro-Smith. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, that's right. You think you know someone, then you read about them in poetry form. And you're like, wow. Wow. I'd never noticed how his eyes sparkle. I've never noticed that Evan... Munro Smith. ...is basically heaven. Whoa. Munro Smith. Yeah, That's shit. the power of rhyme. That's good stuff. Um, we've got an odd number here. Do you want to take over or do you want me to do one more? Well, we can go half and half because this is a double now. Fantastic <laughs> idea. Yes. Well, from, again, deep within the Fortress of the Moles, address unknown... I would love to thank Jordan Kinsley. And I would like to thank Lauren Davis. Oh, Jordan and Lauren. A joint work. Can you believe it? Oh, yes. They've worked together, maybe line by line. Yes. So it is an interesting read because the styles are very different. And about two different subjects. Two different subjects. Remind us, what's Jordan's subject about? Jordan is writing about childbirth. Right. And Lauren is writing about magpies. (laughs) It's very different. (laughs) Yet somehow at the end you're like, oh, my God, it all ties together. It all ties together. And it's all about dad? (laughs) (laughs) And the poem is called Dad? (laughs) Yeah. Dad? Dad? Um, do you want to take over? Thank some people. I'd love to thank from uh, Chermside West. Because we've got Chernside. Churn. Churn. This is but Churn. they've got Chermside West in Queensland. It's Caitlin James. Caitlin James. What a great name. Uh, Caitlin James, of course, quite famous for writing about cacti. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult work to get close to. <laughs> You want to reach out and touch it, but you just can't. You can't. It'll it'll prick you. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked up where I was going there. That is so funny. Thank you so much. That is so funny. Thank you so much. Possibly the highlight of the podcast, everyone. Whoa, I uh, take offence to that. I wrote this whole thing. <laughs> we peak late. <laughs> You've got to stick around a long time to get the good stuff. Hey, I would like to thank from Address Unknown. I can only imagine oh. they are also deep within the fortress of the moles. It's Clint Broadwood. Clint Broadwood. Well, Clint Broadwood uh, has an odd obsession. Yes. But it's quite a beautiful obsession. Okay. With witches' hats. Witches' hats, yes. Different sizes, different shapes. Traffic cones. Traffic cones. <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Water. <laughs> Watch out, there's too much water on this road. <laughs> I better put down a traffic cone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what does a witch wear? Does a witch wear a traffic cone? No. They you wear idiot. A hat. They wear a, a witch's hat. <laughs> Um, yeah, and again, a beautiful, like you sort of go, that's an odd, yeah, but it's you, a metaphor. You would basically, you'd, you'd see the subject and skip over it, but don't be so naive. Don't be naive. Read it. It'll change your life. Read it, love that's it. That's what I'm saying. There's oh. a reason it's Clint's most famous work. Exactly. And Clint's got a lot of great work. Mm. I would now move to London and where I'd like to thank Meg Budgen. Meg Budgen. Or Meg Budgen. I think it's Budgen. I'm thinking it's Budgen. Budgen's an incredible name. Budgen. That fucking rules. Imagine if my name was Jess Budgen. Can you imagine? Should I change my name? To Jess Budgen. Well, if you were going to change your name to David Zest. <laughs> That's a powerful name. <laughs> a Jess Budgen, is it? <laughs> it's, it's okay. Can you remind me again um, what Meg's most famous work was, though? Ah, oh, Meg Budgen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the it's called Budgen with the best. Yeah, 
And uh, it's about budgerigars. Love them. Great bird. But, but again, you look into it and it's about living in a cage. Dad? <laughs> Dad. Living in a cage. You're feeling like you're living in a cage. Exactly. Being a caged bird. Mm. Um, yeah. Budgeon with the best. That's beautiful. Meg Budgeon. Jess Budgeon. You reckon you can pull off Jess Budgeon? Well, apparently not. Well, not- take it from David Zest. Okay. I'll know when you when we find the perfect name for you. This it could be this. It could be this from Seattle. Finally, in Washington, I would like to thank Pope Brack. Pope Brack or Pope Brack. B R A K. Pope is an in- incredible first name. Pope. Are we allowed to have that in Australia? You now, some yeah. you can't have Sir or Admiral and like little ranks. I doubt it. Is Pope one? I don't think we can be called. Can you name a child Pope? Yeah. In Australia, love Let's to find know. Out. We can Google some weird stuff. Religious titles for a first name such as saint, bishop, goddess, father, sister, or pope, and the complete names of religious figures such as Jesus Christ, God, Satan, or Dalai Lama are prohibited names. That's in Queensland. Oh, okay. So, no, we can't be named can't pope. Can't be a child's sister. Or goddess. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Pope Brock, you've broken all the Queensland laws there to call yourself Pope in Seattle. Yeah. Where your most famous work is, of course, about... Satan. Satan, yeah. yes. I've had a lot of imagery there. A lot of imagery. A lot of imagery. Fire. Yeah. Pain. Evil. Evil. The battle between good and evil. Wow, it's really quite beautiful. A child called Damien. Yes. Yeah. I don't get it. I think there was a movie oh. in the, maybe the 80s with a kid called... It's called Damien, and it's like the, the kid is the devil. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Am I making that up, everyone? No, no, no. I believe you. I just... I don't do scary movies, mate. I didn't watch Jumanji for about 20 years because I thought it was scary, and then I watched it, and I was like, Jumanji rules. Oh. Oh, it's called The Omen. Oh. 1978. Yeah, I know The Omen. Do you actually? Yeah. Starring- it's quite a famous movie. Yeah, but the... And then the franchise... The second movie's called Damien. Gotcha. Omen 2. Okay. Now I'm with you. And there's the Omen series. Oh, let me tell me how many, how many there are. A horror film franchise beginning in 76. Series centers, centers on Damien Thorne, <laughs> child born of Satan. There you go. There's quite a few. And then they made a, another movie called Damien in 20... Uh, sorry, a television series called Damien in 2016. I've never seen any of them. I don't like horror films either. No, nah, don't But I do, do like Jumanji, both the original and the one with The Rock and oh, Jack Black. It's so fun. We watched that together and That's we loved right. it. I haven't seen number two yet, though, have you? Uh, I have. Oh, damn it. It's pretty good. Yeah, okay. It's not as good. It's a lot of the same, but it was still fun. Yeah, I think the, the best part about it was we watched it. In London, I believe. Yes. And we all had very low expectations and then it was pretty damn good. So yep. it same, seemed really, really good. Yeah. We had, yeah, we were, we were beyond tired yeah. and just having a really fun time. But I digress. I would like to thank Pope, Meg, Clint, Caitlin, Jordan and Lauren, E, Evan, not E, not e Evan. I was going to say Eve, but it's, I realised it was Evan. Pat, Kev and Chad Shadester one more time. Thank you so much. Chad Chidester. I think that you could pull that off. Do you think I could be Chad Chidester? I think you could be Jess Chidester. I don't think Come that's on, true. say hi, I'm Jess Chidester. Hi, I'm Jess Chidester. Oh, hi, I'm David Zest. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll stick with Perkins for now, but thank you so much well, for I'm your input. Stick, stick with David Zest. The last thing that we need to do is um, welcome some people into the Triptych Club. We have one, no, two people. Um, being welcomed into the Triptych Club this 
week. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, um, if you support us on Patreon for three consecutive years on the shout-out level or above, you are automatically brought in to the Triptych Club. Um, it's an exclusive club. Once you're in, you cannot leave. And it's a cool, like, clubhouse sort of vibe. We have food and drinks and Dave books a band. Matt's behind the uh, the velvet rope. He checks off your name on the clipboard, lets you in. We hype you up. We go absolutely wild. Um, obviously, a Scottish-themed um, episode this week with William McGonagall. Yes. Being Irish, but, you know, raised in Scotland. Exactly. A lot Scottish. of Scottish references. Exactly. So, um, we've got Haggis. We've got Deep Fried Mars Bar. Oh, big fan. We've got uh, Iron Brew. That's culture. That's culture. And, uh, Dave, you normally book a band. Um, have you booked a band this week? You're never going to believe it. What have you done? I mean, I say that a fair bit here, but you're never, genuinely never going to believe this because I've booked a band maybe six, seven months ago. Yeah. There's no way you could have known. I, I didn't know what this topic was until yesterday when no, I wrote it. exactly. And I've somehow booked both a Scottish band. What? That is called The Poets. No. That's right. The Scottish blues freak beat and psychedelic pop band from the 1960s, managed and produced by Andrew Lou Goldham, yes. famous for managing the Rolling Stones in the 1960s. The Poets are here, famous for their cover version of Baby Don't You Do It. Please welcome The Poets. Huge. Absolutely huge. What a great get. Thank you so Can much, you Dave. Huge. I was hoping you'd get The Proclaimers. but Sorry, um, they were busy. Ah, Typical. Um, so, yeah, that's really exciting. So, then the only other thing that we do is that I will read the name because Matt's not here. You can hype him up and then I'll hype you up. Oh, thank you. We thank cut God. out Matt, Mr. Negative, who's always having a go at your fantastic puns and hype ups. Um, there'll be none of that here. I'm, I'm full of positivity. So, are you ready? Uh, yes. Well, you're going to have to do puns based on their names because they are both from Deep Within the Fortress of the Moles. No addresses okay, listed no here. Okay, no addresses to work with here. Okay. So, first and foremost, I would love to welcome in Robin Anderson. Robin Anderson of my favourite son, of my favourite person. Yeah, Robin. <laughs> uh, Robin. Uh, Robin Banks. More like Robin my heart. Oh, my heart's gone. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, I'll let you keep it, Robin. Yeah. You look after it. I trust you. Okay, you've gone too far. And uh, finally, I would also like to welcome in Jennifer Ann McKay. Look, I'll give you not only the benefit of the doubt, I'll give you the Jennifer of the doubt. Oh. Is Jennifer Ann McKay or Mackay? Could be Mackay. The, the Mackay's the limit. Like sky's Ooh, the limit. That's good. Is that pretty good? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Well, no, well you did. <laughs> I did go blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mouthed. What the fuck are you talking about? I did about stare quickly? at you with a blank expression. <laughs> and then you're like, I know what you mean. That's mostly just because I got bored and uninterested. <laughs> um, so thank you to Jennifer and Robin. Welcome into the Triptych Club. Please Welcome. help yourself to some haggis and some iron brew. Enjoy yourself. I mean, you've been supporting the show for so long. You got to kick your legs up. Yeah, enjoy. You've been, it's in for, you've been in that line for three years. It's been a long time. Yeah, that we do have little sleep pods and showers out the back if you need them. Yeah, thank you. And, and then some join you, the party. Some of you do need them. And I'm not going to say who, Jennifer. Um, well, that brings- I'll give you the Jennifer for the doubt. It's not you. <laughs> now, that brings us to the end of uh, yet another fantastic episode and what fun we've had. Another you thank you to it? Evan Munro-Smith for coming in and uh, filling in for Matt for us. Yes, 
definitely check out Gamey Gamey Game. Evan's such a busy man. We were so delighted he could actually come and join us. So um, big thank you to him. Uh, and, yeah, if you want to suggest a topic, you can head over to the – I was going to say the Triple J website. That's not true. <laughs> that would be difficult to suggest a topic. Yeah, don't do it there. You can head over to our website, which is dogoonpod.com. You can find us on social media at dogoonpod. We are posting little clips of the show now as well. So if you want to see what we look like, which yes. some people are horrified by. Yeah, but some people are liking them. Some people like it. Other people are like, oh, that's not how I imagined your faces. And it's like, okay, well, I can't do anything about that. So that feedback hurts. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's both on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok, that's right. We do go on podcasts on TikTok. Remember, we're in it all in our um, mid-30s, so we're not great on TikTok, but it's not for us, you know? Yeah, we're trying our best. We're trying our best. So chuck us a pity follow, maybe. Would you? You can mute us if you want, but just follow us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, as I, I think I said, you can suggest a topic and we love you. Dave, boot at home. Hey, we'll be back with another episode. You know what, next week. I reckon next Let's do it, let's do it weekly, uh, this show. What do you think? I think I'm free. I think I'll put one out seven days from now. But until then, I'll say thank you so so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.